you have your Bibles open, if they're not already, to 2 Corinthians. Here we are in the fourth of five sermons on our capital campaign. And this is really just the first and the only one that deals with stewardship directly. We've been talking more about a vision for what Christ's community is called to be. But in order to fulfill that vision, one portion of that is the funding of the vision. And we'll talk a little bit about that um, today as we go through. On the uh, In the handout, you'll see there's an outline that's helpful. It'll give you some uh, thoughts for the week, especially if you're dad and you're trying to figure out how you can help your kids sort of move through this whole process. This would be a great tool for you, and I'll be referring to that as well. If you were to read about the growth and the impact of the early church, especially if you were to read in the book of Acts, one of the characteristics or one of the marks of the early church was what you might call a radical generosity or an unusual generosity. The people around the early church just noticed that there was something different about these people in a number of ways, but one of the ways was how they viewed their money and their possessions. Acts chapter 4, verse 32 says this, no one, no, no believer claimed that any of his possessions was his own. Imagine that. No believer said, this is mine. This has my name on it. I earn this. Something had happened. They'd have a a life-transforming encounter with Christ. And one of the things that got immediately transformed in that encounter with Christ was the way they viewed their possessions. They didn't just give all their possessions away. That wasn't the idea. But the idea was that all the possessions that I used to think had my name on them, now don't have my name on them. They have God's name on them. And if he wants to use them for a particular purpose, then I'm free to let those go. They're not mine anyway. I didn't earn them and I'm not going to take them anywhere. And so they had this radical generosity. They had an unusual generosity that the people around them began to see. It was part of the engine that drove the early church to have such an incredible impact in the culture, just just think about this small band of 12 men, maybe 500 believers at the time of Christ's death that that would have sort of said we're sort of of the same mind. This little group in a, a small, relatively out of the way part of the world in 300 years just overwhelms the Roman Empire. Isn't that incredible? Part of the impact, part of the way that they were able to work into the culture and have an influence on the culture was the way they used their money. It's not something that just marked uh, the church through Acts chapter 28, but in 252 we have this recorded. In a city called Carthage, which is in North Africa, the city that had been persecuting the church pretty heavily, In 252 A.D., this church or this city experienced a terrible plague. And part of the result of the plague is that the healthy people began to panic and they began to abandon the city. As the panic swept over the city, one of the church leaders, a man named Cyprian, stood up and he gathered all the believers in Carthage together. 
And he says this, if we're going to live like Jesus. Who, though he was rich, became poor so that through his poverty, we might become rich. Then we must fan out through the town. And give both personal and financial aid to all according to their need, no matter whether they're Christians or not. So this small group of believers in Carthage living with the same plague, both physically and spiritually in this city, when they had a chance to sort of run, what did they do? They grabbed themselves and said, no, no, we're here for another purpose. We're not here for ourselves. We're here for for Christ. And right here in the midst of this plague, both spiritually and physically, we can have a tremendous impact if we begin to give ourselves and we begin to give our finances. Today, today's church, Christ Community Church specifically, if we want to have the same kind of influence on our culture, we're going to have to make a commitment to a very unusual, radical view of our possessions. And it it must mark us. People must see it and say, I see that. That's different about them. It can't look like the rest of the culture. Healthy Christians who live in a city that lives under a plague must not abandon the city. Healthy Christians who live in a nation that's plagued spiritually or physically must not abandon the nation. We must get into the city. We must get into the nation. And by our lives, by our personal generosity with your time, your talents or your resources in any way, begin to see how God uses those to impact the whole culture. When we turn to 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth and he's he's reminding them of a promise that the church had made. The church back in Jerusalem had become very poor. And so as Paul goes around to these different missionary journeys, he's collecting money along the way. And the church in Corinth said, we'd be happy to give. And he's going to send somebody to pick up the gift. But first, he's sending this letter and he's just reminding them, remember what you thought about. Remember how you were thinking generously. I want to encourage that thinking as I send this courier to pick up the money. And so when you read through Second Corinthians and you come to eight and nine, these two chapters, it's the it's the largest place in one single unit that Paul talks about generosity If you were to read through the chapters, one of the things that you would notice that's a little unusual is although Paul is going to make a collection, he never uses the word money. He just talks about generosity. Today, I want to use the text, which is really an encouragement to the Corinthians to be generous, to help us think about our own generosity as we approach the final week of the capital campaign. And Paul mentions several things, and I want to pick up on four of them. How do we think about generosity? One, we've got to have the right attitude. Two, we have to understand the product of our generosity. Three, we have to understand its eternal value. And finally, there's a key to us being generous as believers. 
an attitude, a product, a, an eternal value, and a key. So let's look at those. First, our attitude towards generosity. Notice in chapter 9, verse 6, Paul gives this sort of general principle or proverb. It's an agricultural or farming thing. Everyone would understand it. The more seed you scatter out on the ground, the more likely you are to get more and more return. If you've had, ever had a garden, one of the things that you have to do is limit the number of seeds you put out in your garden because it just overgrows. And so he's saying, you know, it's just this way in the kingdom. The more you spread things around, just the more and more and more it grows. You don't have to have a real large plot of land to plant a few beans in before you just have more than you could possibly eat. And it's the same thing when we're using our resources. The, the more liberal we are with them, the, the bigger the harvest that's coming back. And people understand this. And then notice in chapter, I mean, chapter nine, again, verse seven, Paul goes on to say this. He gives them a specific amount he wants them to give. Verse seven, each one must give. But he doesn't give a specific amount, does he? He doesn't say this amount of money. He doesn't even give you a percentage. He doesn't say 10%. What does he say? You should, you should give whatever's in your heart. The ESV says mind, but heart really is a, a better translation here. Why doesn't he give a specific amount? I mean, most of us are pretty concrete thinkers. And if, and if we can just say, just just give me a number. I mean, I, I can work with a number, a percentage. I, that's something I can shoot for. But he doesn't say that. He talks the whole time about having a heart of generosity. He doesn't talk about a specific amount. And one of the reasons and a reason that we would know. Is because you can be very generous with a very small amount. The woman who gave the widow's might, the two copper coins that didn't even add up to a penny. Remember, she was the most generous person Christ was looking at. But you can be somebody and give a large amount of money and not be very generous. Because you can give a large amount of money mostly for people to look at yourself. And so Paul understands this. He understands it's really not an exercise about money. It's a spiritual exercise. And so we have to get inside first. Before we get to your wallet, we have to get to your heart. And Paul is moving in this direction in the whole passage. He's not talking about money because he doesn't really care about the money. He's trying to get into the heart of the people at Corinth. We see that from from the letter when um, I spoke uh, about a month ago now, it really wasn't part of the capital campaign series. But the last uh, passage in Mark, Mark chapter 10, was a story about blind Bartimaeus. You remember that story? Blind Bartimaeus comes. He sits on the side of the road. Jesus is passing by and he says, Lord, have mercy. And what's the only thing blind Bartimaeus owns? Remember that? He owns a cloak. So it's his shelter. It's his home. And then it's his place that he lays out in front. So if people are going to give him money or give him food, he's collecting it in this cloak. That's the only thing this blind man has. And when Jesus says, 
call out to Bartimaeus. What does Bartimaeus do with the cloak? Man, when I hear Jesus, I don't need the cloak. Boom! He throws the cloak aside and he's trying to make his way towards Jesus. Mike Griffin, who's part of the capital campaign, was listening then and he told this story to the leadership uh, this past week. He said this, he said, I kind of was wrestling with it this way, thinking, yeah, but the cloak, I mean, it didn't have any value. I'm not saying it wasn't hard for Bartimaeus to throw, a cloth, uh, throw his cloak away, but it didn't really have any value. What I have has value. And then really only in the way the Lord could move, he, he let Mike know, Mike, you can scrape up all that you have. And to me, it's nothing more than a dirty old cloak. You see, it's getting to the heart. It's not just talking about money. It's not just talking about a specific possession. It's talking about what's the attitude of your heart towards your possessions. And that's what Paul is after. He's after their heart. He's not after their money. When we've, when we've done the capital campaign, we're not after a specific dollar amount. That's not the exercise. The exercise is changing your attitude or forming your attitude towards your possessions so that you would say, you know what? What I have is not my own. It's just somebody else's. It's God's. And if he wants me to use it for him, then I'll give it in any way he would suggest. You, you might say this about the whole capital campaign. It's, it's not an exercise in understanding Christ community church's financial capital. It's an exercise to discover our spiritual capital. And that's what we're doing as part of this campaign. Well, you may say, yeah, that's fine, Paul, but I still need something concrete. I mean, the desires of my heart, my heart might be all over the place. And so I think Paul tries to narrow it down here a little bit for him. He gives him sort of three markers to run on. When you're thinking about being generous, when you're thinking about using your possessions in any way, he says, okay, let's just consider it from these three angles. First of all, you're not supposed to give reluctantly. In other words, when, when you part with your money, you're not crying about it. Now, let me see if I can capture uh, Nash's attention or... Or somebody else's attention that watches SpongeBob SquarePants. Very spiritual show, and so particularly applicable at this particular point, because who in SpongeBob SquarePants, every time they're parted with a dollar, cries? Who is it? Mr. Krabs! They had a whole episode about Mr. Krabs losing his very first dollar that he ever got. And the whole show, Mr. Krabs is crying about it. And so what Paul is saying is that if you're going to part with any amount of money and you're going to be crying about that money, then don't part with it. God doesn't need money like that. He doesn't have any. He doesn't have any need for money at all. He has a need for your heart. And he knows if you're giving money and you're crying about it, then you really haven't given your heart. So he's not interested in that particular dollar. So when you give, whether it's to an offering or whether it's to another ministry or whether it's to the building campaign, whatever it is, don't give reluctantly. Don't give and cry about it later. Second marker, 
You're not supposed to give under compulsion. My hope from my vantage point, and I know Reggie would say this and Mike and Jeff and all the elders would say it. We have hoped for the whole campaign that nobody has felt compelled to give. We have just opened up what we believe God is asking us to do. And if you would like to come along, then that's great. But if you don't give and you're a member of Christ Community Church, we're not going to call you and say, hey, where was that pledge? We don't want anyone to give under any kind of compulsion. In fact, Paul in chapter eight, verse eight, he says, I'm not commanding you to give. I'm reminding you that you wanted to give, but I'm not saying you must give. I'm just reminding you, I think you're going to want the opportunity to give. So he doesn't command it. And finally, the third marker If you're trying to say, am I giving with the right heart? You don't want to give reluctantly. You don't want to give out of compulsion. And on a more positive side, he says, God loves a cheerful giver. The word hilarious is the word for cheerful here. If you look at it in the Greek, that's where we get it. You just can't wait. Wow. I get to be involved with this. Incredible. I can't, I just cannot wait to do something like this. So if you're, if you don't know, how much should I give? What's the desire of my heart? Is it out of reluctance? Then you're not in the right place. Is it out of compulsion? Then you're not in the right place. Are you giving with a heart of sort of hilarity? It's, it's an unusual generosity. It's something that if people saw us collectively, they'd say, now, that's something different than what we would expect from a group like that. Those are markers. And listen, I, I want you to hear this. I was listening to I've been listening to a lot of sermons about tithing and stewardship and capital campaigns. And one of the sermons I heard recently, a guy was talking about the principle of giving should be right at the beginning of when you start making money. You shouldn't say, well, when I start really making real money, then I'll give money away, which was a great principle. But then he went on to say, you should just take it right off the top, which, again, that's fine. Just just pretend as if it's not there. And I thought, no, I don't want you to give like it's not there. Why? I want you to give with hilarity. And if you pretend as if it's not there, then you don't know anything about it. I want you to write it out and say, I know it's in my bank account. First, we really want to be sure you know it's in your bank account before you write your check. Because we don't want this kind of hilarity. Well, watch the size of this check. They'll never get this money. That's not the kind of hilarity we're after. We want you to know it and we want you to say, I'm excited about giving this away. I'm aware of it coming out of my checking account and I'm thrilled to be giving it to this church or this ministry or this person. So we want to be people who are cheer, cheerful about it. Let's look at the product of our generosity. We could say a lot here. I want you to just notice verse eight, all these superlatives. Paul gives, I'm not going to focus on them, but just notice, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, 
you may abound in every good work or all good works, it says in the Greek. But I want us to focus our attention really on two phrases further on, verse 11 and verse 13. Your generosity will produce thanksgiving. And because of your service or because of your generosity, they will glorify God. The church at Corinth, these Gentile believers who have more wealth than the Jewish church back in Jerusalem, Paul saying, if you all would give, I'm going to take it back. And people that you'll never see, people that culturally are totally different than you all, they would do things that you all wouldn't do and you do things that, that they don't do. They look different than you, you all. They're going to give thanks and glorify God because of your gift. Turn in this little insert here. See this is little pictures of the orphanage in Haiti. But the very top picture are some strapping young men from Christ Community Church in a, what's going what now is a septic hole. And we spent a week just digging a hole. It was really th- spiritual work, thrilling. And uh, we spent a week over there. Really was fun, actually. And then you notice later in the fall, there's a foundation now and these boards going up. And then most re- the most recent picture is the first floor. Christ Community Church, as a church and as a mission committee, sent the $60,000 that was necessary to build this orphanage. And just in a letter from Charles, the pastor there this week, he says this, and I printed it there. Notice this. The Lord gave us provision. I just love that phrase. The first credit goes to the Lord. Now, he uses a hose to deliver it. But the credit really is coming from the Lord or to the Lord to start building the orphanage in the back of the compound where we will eventually house 20 young Haitian boys. You're never going to see these boys. You're not going to know them. They have a completely different language and culture. They sing different songs. They dress differently. They're almost in every way different than the culture that you're growing up in. The boys will be raised to become future leaders for the ministry. From the bottom of my heart, I want to thank Christ Community Church in Wilmington and other friends who are helping this dream become a reality. The first floor is poured and we hope to start putting up the outside and inside of the walls in January. Our gifts allow somebody else to thank the Lord and give glory to God. That's what we're here for. Whatever we build, whether it's a tent or a cathedral, we're building it so people can thank the Lord and give glory to the Lord. That's the purpose. That's the hope. That's the product of our generosity. Third, I want you to notice the eternal value of our generosity. Paul, look down in verse 9. Paul is trying to help them understand the need to be generous. And he refers back to Psalm 112, which is why we read that in the scripture reading today. 
He goes back and says, you know, it's kind of like this back in Psalm 112. You've heard of the Proverbs 31 woman. You might think of uh, of the as sort of the ideal woman. You might think of the Psalm 112 man. He's the ideal generous man. If you want to know what it's like to be generous or sort of how how to have a template to follow in your generosity, just go home and read the 10 verses in Psalm 112. That'll give you a good help. And he just picks out one verse here and he says this, the generous man, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor and his righteousness. Look at that phrase. His righteousness endures forever. His generosity endures forever. It doesn't just last for your lifetime. It doesn't just last for the lifetime of this world. It goes on into the next world. It has this compounding or rippling effect all the way through eternity. Your little two bits, your little widow's might or your large sum can have a reverberating effect if you're giving out of a cheerful heart towards God, not just through your lifetime. But through all of eternity, the money that you would give, the time that you would give, the talent that you can give right now is going to multiply year after year after year into eternity. Now, some of you, if you if you do your finances, you've sat down with a financial advisor and they've talked to you about the uh, multiplying effect of compound interest. You just invest a little bit now, and if you can wait 20 years or 30 years or 40 years, and you don't touch the money, and you just let the interest compound, this little investment when you're 20 or 30 or 40, at 60 or 70, it's grown exponentially. I was on a website recently, and they used this example. What if Christopher Columbus in 1492 had invested one penny? In the United States of America at six percent. He never gave anything else. He just gave one penny. And over 500 years, six percent compounding. What would that be worth today? Ninety five billion dollars. But notice what Paul's saying. He's talking about something that's going to go way past 500 years. Your your little gift is going to be multiplied a million years from now. So I want you to go home tomorrow. You call your financial advisor and say, I'd like to get on the the plan that compounds 10,000 years from now. He doesn't have a plan like that. He has something that might help you in 10 years or 20 years or 40 years, but he doesn't have the 2000 year plan. He doesn't have something that's going to keep multiplying all the way through eternity. You know why? Because the closer you get to Christ, the more you see of Christ, what's what's going to grow in value? The person who helps you see Christ. So when you just get to heaven, you say, this is more incredible than I've ever seen. And you turn to see the person who gave for you to hear Christ. You're going to really be excited about that. But 10,000 years later, 
When you know Christ a lot more than you did the first year, when you turn and see that person, that gift has multiplied. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger through all of eternity. There is no investment on this earth that can ever touch that. The Apostle Paul is giving you the best stock tip he can ever give you right here. Invest in something that's going to return all the way through eternity. Not just once, but it's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. I guess that's why John Wesley said, and it's on the front of your bulletin, I judge all things only by the price that they shall gain in eternity. The key to our generosity, finally. When you've been on the receiving end of somebody's generosity, it typically produces in you a desire to be generous. You're not usually a very stingy person if people are really giving to you very generously. It turns your heart into wanting to be a generous person. I I thought about my own attitude towards generosity, which certainly isn't perfect, but it's been helped by the generosity of other people. I'm aware every Sunday when we pass these baskets around and you're giving your money. A pretty good percentage is coming to me. Twenty years ago, when I got married, a friend of mine gave us an old dryer. And we still use it. I think about it every time we use the dryer. In my 20 years of ministry in The 15 I've been, or maybe more than that, 18 in Wilmington, I've been given two cars. The computer that we use was a gift. If you come to our house and you eat at our dining room, you sit in a chair, it's a gift. If you sit on one of our two couches or our two love seats, those were gifts. Zachary Morgan's sleeping beds, that were gifts. Her clothes and my clothes are in a dresser, that were gifts. The entire cost of my seminary degree was a gift. I could keep going. I could multiply this list over and over of the generosity. But see, I could tell you about that. I could go and show you that dryer. I could show you that car. I could show you a dresser. But notice in verse 15, this is so great. Paul closes here. He's trying to help. He's trying to get to their heart. He's trying to help them understand the kind of heart that's going to be generous. And you're going to have to understand this. The great gift that's been given in verse 15, it says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. It's not like a dryer or a dresser. It's, it's something I can't describe. And this is the only place This occurs in the New Testament. This word occurs in the New Testament. Some commentators think Paul just made up the word. He just put a lot of complex words together and said, it's just something like this. I can't I can't get you a normal word out. I can just give you this new made up word. And literally, it means something like this. Not out through declaring. I I cannot I cannot declare out to you. I cannot get through to you by declaring this indescribable gift. 
I just can't tell you. His whole being had been captured by Christ. And so everything else he looked around in was nothing. So I close here thinking if you're sitting here and you struggle with being unusually generous. You give, but it's, yeah, it's kind of reluctantly. You don't give unless anybody asks you. You're not going to give on your own. Somebody puts a squeeze on you and you say, well, okay. Poor little kid comes by selling donuts and, you know, you give him some money. You don't really like giving your money away. Many times you give your money away and you sort of calculate, well, if I had kept that money, and I'd kept it in that account, this is how much money I would have now. It's possible that there some people struggle with those things. Then I would say to you and urge you in terms of the capital campaign to not make a pledge. It's just not that important. Because what the whole campaign is about is about spiritual work. It's not about a dollar amount. You're going to hear a dollar amount. But that's not what it's about. See, because if you if you went home and you said, well, I felt like the pastor was putting a squeeze on me, so I had to give something. Then that money is not the kind of money God's after. He's after people who really have a heart for Christ. If there's any way that Paul could try to describe this indescribable gift, he gets closest to it in Philippians chapter two. You don't need to turn to. I'll just read for you. It's interesting to me that he gets closest to describing Christ in an old hymn. I can't just say it to you. I have to sing it to you. And he sings out Philippians two. your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ, who being in the very nature of God, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He he made himself nothing. He let go of eternal possessions, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death. Even death on a cross. When eternal wealth fell to this earth, it was buried. It was sown. And what was reaped? God exalted Christ to the highest place. And he gave him the name that is above every name. That at that name, Jesus, Paul Phillips' knee should bow. Paul Phillips' tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When the eternal wealth came and was buried, what sprung up? All over the earth. All over time. Christ first, but who after that? Me. Dead Paul Phillips popped out of the ground and said, I'm alive. Your little gift, your large gift, whatever it is, 
It has the opportunity to multiply. So the harvest of your righteousness. People coming to Christ because of you sowing would be beyond calculation. Let's pray. Lord, if there are any words in here that need to fall away. Anything that just sounded hard. Anything that sounded manipulative. All the sounds of Paul Phillips's humanity coming out, I pray that that would be erased. And what would be heard are the words of this text. The truth that you're after are hearts. You have absolutely no need for possessions. So I pray that this whole exercise would be a great spiritual exercise for every individual, for every college student who feels like I just don't have any money. For every middle school or high school student, for every couple who argues about money, that this would be a a coalescing moment for them. That as we go away and this week, seriously consider what we might pledge this time next week. That it would be done not reluctantly, not out of compulsion, but with a cheerful heart. In Jesus name, amen.